So, Pentecost Sunday, this is the day following the last day of Easter in the liturgical calendar. It's the day in which we remember the visitation of the Holy Spirit that we just read about in Acts chapter 2. It's also the final week in a sermon series that we've been in called simply just the word presence. And what we were investigating, talking about, thinking about, praying about is what does it look like to interact with the presence of God in a world where we read about Jesus' presence on earth in the Gospels. We hear those testimonies, but the bodily presence of God in Jesus is not with us. What are the ways that we engage with the presence of God? And so we've explored that in many different ways. We've talked about the presence of God as, as friend. We've talked about the abiding presence of God in the acts of the church through our uh, generous giving and sacrificial life. And this morning we're finishing up this series talking about the presence of God in this very communal setting where in some cases some people call this the birth of the church. And what we see, what we're going to explore this morning, is that the presence of God is moving through a multi-generational group of people, multi-ethnic, different socioeconomic classes, every kind, both, both men and women, every kind of diversity that you can imagine in human beings, we see the presence of God working. And even beyond that, we see the presence of God working in a diversity of ways. So the people and their, uh, their unique attributes are diverse, and also the ways that God is moving through them is diverse as well. And so here's the thing. If we want to be able to become more aware of the presence of God in our lives— which um, is in some, in some ways a, a, a something as a human being we can't help on some level, whether it's conscious or subconscious, to want, then what will help us to do that is to understand the variety of ways and through the variety of types of people that the presence of God is shown, is made manifest. So that's what we're going to explore this morning. Would you pray with me for a moment? Lord, we thank you uh, for your presence even here now with us in, in this world that never ceases to stop spinning and be challenging and hard and joyful and filled with grief all at the same time. Would you be with us this morning? Would you inspire us? Would you reorient us to your presence in this world, in your people, in all nations under heaven? as your scripture says. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, have you ever been around um, somebody and they're, they're kind of explaining things to you, or you're explaining things to them, I should say, and then they use uh, a, a really big word to encapsulate everything that you just said? Like, uh, um, oh yeah, you're just talking about and endometriosis. I don't even know what that word means. Uh, but I know I've been in those kinds of, uh, those kinds of situations. 
And it, it makes me think about the power of language, the power of language and the power of the different types of expression that's available to us, even just through lang- language as human beings. And also the diversity that comes uh, with the ways that we even think about the words that we use. And in this passage uh, on Pentecost, I think that's a really important aspect of what's happening here. You know, uh, uh, my wife is at home right now with three, three small kids, and I said, hey, you know, today's Pentecost. I, I found my one red T-shirt to put on because red's the, the Pentecost color. And, uh, yeah, it just happened to be a, a shirt about uh, public schools, uh, which I've worked in for a long time. But um, she said, oh, yeah, Pentecost. So, you know, speaking in tongues, everybody, you know, we should probably speak in tongues and that kind of thing. And I said, yeah, you know, that is. And I grew up in a, in a, in a Pentecostal uh, charismatic tradition, and that is really been the focus a lot of times in this passage here. But what I want to look at and draw out here is the role that the language plays in people's experiences of God this morning. So first, let's talk about this this thing called Pentecost, okay, this name. It comes from a Greek word, and it basically means 50th. It's like 50 days from some important events in the Jewish calendar. All the people here in this passage are Jewish people. And this is 50 weeks, 50 days from some Jewish festivals. Um, One of them uh, is called the First Fruits. Um, And uh, this also, this is important, this will come back. This is also uh, a time when uh, it was ascribed to it, the tradition that the Ten Commandments were given to the people of Israel. So in the first verse here, we hear, uh, or the second verse, we hear uh, about two things happening, wind and fire coming. And we know that wind is oftentimes associated with the presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus talks about this, and there are other references in the scriptures about that. And then there's also this fire, and, and, and this fire appears and then separates and kind of hovers over the heads of the people present in the room. And this is weird, right? And it is supernatural, and it's also extremely important to this passage, what's happening here, because the fire that's in the center of the room, it moves away from the center, and it comes to hover over the heads of each individual person. And in the scriptures, when we read about fire and the presence of God, it's usually located in a single place. In fact, the main reference for the presence of God and fire would have been the holy of holies, this this, uh, inner room of the holy temple of Jerusalem where it was said the presence of God dwelt. And only uh, a high priest once a, year, once a year is supposed to enter this room. And so when we think about that fire uh, that represents the presence of God or the fire on the top of Mount Sinai that only Moses, the leader of the Jewish people, was able to go to, that this fire was being distributed to all different people in the room. Y'all hear what I'm saying right now? 
that the presence of God, which was seen and understood to be something for the privileged few, was now moving out and among people all within this congregation, all within this group. See, today it feels normal to us as Americans where we have our own individual privatized everything to think, oh, yes, of course I have personal access to God. But this was a stark contrast to what the people had experienced in this community, in this part of the world, and in most parts of the world at this time. This was a revolutionary reversal or, uh, or sort of dissipation of a hierarchy of who got to be in with God, who got to be on God's inner circle. And so this fire spreads out among this group of people. Hey, have you ever been given access to something and you, you just didn't know how to receive it? Anybody? That ever happened to you? This, this happened to me twice in, the, uh, in, in relationship with some of my Hispanic brothers and sisters. What, what you need to know about most folks who grew up in, in a Hispanic culture is that if you say to them about something that they wear, if you give them a compliment, about something that they're wearing that you like, they're going to give it to you. And uh, so I said to my friend Jorge, I said, hey, man, I really like that bracelet you got on. And he immediately took it off and put it on my arm. And I'm like, whoa, uh, thanks. I, I didn't mean, I mean, I wasn't trying to get, and I don't, thank you. All right. So I got this, this bracelet from him. And uh, uh, it's not this one. Um, <laughs> this one's from from uh, Alaska, Juneau, Alaska. We got some Alaskans in here. Uh, but uh, I, I, I was baffled by that, and I didn't really know how to receive that gift, and I wasn't really expecting it based on the interaction that I had. And this happened again later. I was in Nebraska, and I was hanging out with some friends, uh, my wife's, uh, one of her best friends and her spouse, and, uh, and he's from Mexico. And I said, hey, man, I really like your, uh, he had on like a little pullover, you know, shirt, whatever those things are called, a little pullover shirt with a zipper. I said, I really like that. And he pulled it off and he put it on me. And I was like, oh, no, thank you. Um, you're a lot smaller than me, so this is uncomfortable, but I, I really appreciate that. And, and I thought to myself, I should have known that was going to happen. I should have known if I was going to compliment him, I should have been ready to receive that gift from him. It's a beautiful thing about the Hispanic culture. And I wonder if, if any of these folks in here, after the fact, they sort of felt like this, like, I, did, I completely did not expect for God to give me this. And, and that makes me wonder as well, how, how many of us are afraid to receive things that we already have access to. I'm not about to talk, try to get everybody to speak in tongues in here. Don't worry. But, but I do think that there are things that God gives us access to, and we're like that confused version of James, and I just told you the story about. We just don't even know what to, what to do with it. That, you know, there, there are some of us now 
uh, and, and you won't be able to distinguish the difference if this is the category you fit in, so I don't even know why I'm saying it, but there are some of us that are the opposite of that, where we don't have boundaries, and we think everything's for us, and we take everything, uh, whether it's given to us or not. But there's also, there's also those of us, I'm sure they're uh, on the Facebook feed or in the room here, that we don't know how to receive good things that people want to give us. And we do it because somewhere along the way, we were taught that that's not righteous, it's not virtuous to um, receive good things. And so what we end up doing is we kind of become this sort of victim or, 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 or martyr of sorts, where we go through life having access to good things for us, but not actually being willing to receive those things. There's people who are willing to pray for you, who are willing to extend love to you, who are willing to listen to your story, who are willing to meet your needs if you're willing to vocalize them. So, some of us are still thinking about that Mount Sinai, that inaccessible mountain, when we think about the presence and the activity of God, when really the scriptures tell us that fire is no longer, that presence of God is no longer hiding up there on the top of a dark, scary mountain, but it's spread out among us, available to all of us, and can be interacted with through the church, through this body of people right here. So we need new experiences because that's what happened here for these disciples. They had new experiences that taught them how to receive new gifts of God. They were able to step out of that comfortable mentality of thinking these good things from God or from others is inaccessible to me. And then they were able to experience something new. They ceased to be a victim of circumstances, or the collateral damage of fate. And I know I've been there. I know that I've failed to simply just receive what was there for me from God. But I can have new experiences. And I think here at Christ City, we are in a, a really great position in the next year to begin to have some new experiences together. As we start to gather back together in person, as we get to start reconnecting more with one another, as we get to uh, start uh, volunteering together and getting back into story groups and things like that, that we get to have those experiences. We have a church where you can learn, where you can get to learn how to receive good things from other people. And so if you want to be a part of that, just stick around and you will get to experientially get to change your understanding of presence with God. So um, to add to this, let's keep reading these scriptures here and see what we can add to this new experiential understanding of the presence of God here and its availability to us. So in verse 5, here's what's continuing to happen in the narrative. It says, Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, and uh, in summary, they were, they were amazed and bewildered when they heard their languages being spoken because they were coming from north, south, east, and west to be here in Jerusalem to go where the presence of God was, was to be for them as Jews and God-fearing people. 
And so, so people from all over the wor- world were hearing their language being spoken by this group of folks where they're like, hey, these guys are Galileans. You ever heard somebody like a, a Southern American who's learned Spanish and they're like, como se llama, right? Like you could totally hear their Southern accent through the other language. That's like what these guys sounded like apparently because they're like, we can tell by the way they're speaking our language that they're from Galilee. It's like como se llama in Parthian or whatever language there, right? So they heard their own language being spoken. And here's the thing. Uh, they, they would have known some of the other languages. So the main languages in this part of the world would have been, for the Jews, would have been Greek and Aramaic. And so there were probably, most of the folks around there could speak one of those two languages. But God saw it fit to have these disciples speaking out to this group of people from all over the world in their mother tongues. This is incredible. This is so little to do with some kind of fanatical or high-energy experience of speaking in tongues. And I'm not even trying to get down on speaking in tongues. I've done it before. I've been in worship services where that was happening. I spoke in tongues when I was 10 years old, and it was one of the realest experiences I've ever had with God. I'm just saying that's not what this passage is really about right here. So they were being invited into a new experience by the presence of God, speaking to them in the language that they knew best. And I think this shows us something really important about the nature of God, the nature of the Spirit of God, that there seems to be inherent in this entire passage and really in in the Gospels and in in the Gospels of Acts that implicitly shows us through the stories we get exposed to that God is not located in one certain group of people, in one certain color of skin, in one language, in one translation, that God is not confined to these things. And in fact, that our understanding of God will become better and that our orientation to our world and where and how God can respond to us is seen more effectively the more we are open to and understand that a diversity of ways that God is communicating. It kind of uh, reminds me of, and I, I mean, there's lots of scholars that, that, that know this and, and talk about this, the Tower of Babel, this story of the Tower of Babel. It's in, in this uh, primeval part of, of the book of Genesis where there's these different stories about how the world kind of came to be the way it is. And, and in the Tower of Babel, uh, there's this group of people representing all of humanity, and they're building this tower. And they're like, we're going to build a tower straight up to heaven, straight to God. And, uh, and in, in the passage, I think it's Genesis 11, uh, the, uh, the um, uh, God speaks and says, like, he's talking to the angels or something. They're like, hey, we got to stop, stop these folks because they're going to they're gonna succeed. Uh, and so the way that, that we'll stop them is we'll, we'll change their languages. We'll, we'll curse them to s- speak all these different languages that can't understand each other. And so they give up on this project to, to kind of, like, reach God and maybe become God and, and that kind of thing. And yet here we see something different happening because in that story... The idea seemed to be, at least around language, that these people speaking the same language was allowing them to get too good 
at doing the wrong kind of thing, right? So this sort of sameness uh, of, of intention, of understanding of life was having them become too good at things that weren't good, the wrong kind of thing. And here in this passage, we see all types of people coming together, and God is unifying them, not by making them all the same, not by giving them all the same perspective. Can you imagine? Look, the, the Bible was written, the New Testament was written primarily in a language, in ancient Greek, in ancient Greek. Now, there are thousands of different translations of that New Testament Bible. And even just in English, there are hundreds of different translations that have existed. And that's just with a single change in language. Can you imagine the different ways that people were getting to know the expression of the glories of God through all of these different languages that were going out from this group of Galileans asking, Donde esta el baño? Right? So here in this story, we see God unifying people with diversity. This is not a supernatural thing for people to get a better orientation in the world through understanding other languages better. It's actually something that occurs. So there's, a, there's this uh, radio uh, show called Hidden Brain. Got any fans out there of Hidden Brain? Yeah, quite a few in here. All right. Uh, so in this, in this show, there was an there was a episode on language and translation and how it causes us to think about and orient ourselves to the world in different ways. And this Jewish-Russian professor working in San Diego who grew up in the Soviet Union, so you can already tell she's going to speak multiple languages, right, named Lyra Borodowski, she traveled to this small community in uh, northern Australia, to this Aborigine com community. And when she spent some time there, she realized right away she couldn't even say hi effectively with learning the language there. And the reason was is because in this community, when you say hi, you also mention the direction that you're heading. So you say, hey, how's it going? Where are you heading? And you answer, hey, how are you? I'm heading. And you don't say uh, this way or right or left or straight ahead. You mention the cardinal directions that you're heading. So I'm heading northeast for a long ways and then north. What about you? And she found that in this community, she could not physically orient herself well enough in space to be able to say hi appropriately. And the people there thought she was a little slow. She's a PhD uh, in America, but she didn't know how to orient herself in the world uh, physically with the cardinal directions. She was used to left and right, whereas in this community, if you said, you know, my right leg itched, it wouldn't make any sense. And actually, if you were turned this way, you know, your east and west leg, it would change. So it's a totally different way of orienting yourself to the world. That's how they do it in Nebraska. It's, I, I was going to say, 
Nebraska and Northern Australia are basically the same place, right? Uh, so what, what happened is she, she began to get acclimated there, and uh, eventually she learned how to orient herself in the world no matter where she was with cardinal directions. But previous to that, in the Western world, it was thought that human beings really couldn't do this to the level that uh, this group of people, no matter where they were, they could orient themselves instantly. Uh, they didn't have to see the sun or anything to do it. And it was thought that we didn't have some of the features that other animals have that are able to do that, that scientists have studied. But what she found, what this, sci this, uh, this scientist found, is that it just basically took understanding language in a different way. And I want to share with you just this little excerpt about how she learned what, what, that, what the, the experience was like when she realized she could do this, that she could orient herself in the world this way. She said, and one day I was walking along and I was just staring at the ground. All of a sudden, I noticed that there was a new window that had popped up in my mind. And it was like a little bird's eye view of the landscape that I was walking through. And I was a little red dot that was moving across the landscape. And then when I turned, this little window stayed locked on the landscape, but it turned in my mind's eye. As soon as I saw that happen, I thought, oh, this makes it so much easier. Now I can stay oriented. And I kind of sheepishly confessed this to someone there. I said, you know, this weird thing happened. I saw this bird's eye view, and I was this little red dot. And they said, well, of course. How else would you do it? Of course, that's how you do it. What she was realizing is that languages are not just tools to describe the world. They are ways of seeing the world. They're ways of seeing the world. So what was going out from these disciples were different ways of seeing and experiencing God through all these different languages. That's what God chose to do. Isn't that fascinating? She's got a quote here that I pulled out. She says this, language can guide you to discover something about the world that might take you longer to discover if you didn't have that information in language. And here, here's what I want to make clear, friends, that, that language is one means of diversity that we can understand different ways of orienting ourselves to the presence of God around us. But language is also a representation of just the diversity in general of ways that people think, of perspectives that they have that can help give us a richer and more full orientation to what God is doing, where God is. We have these eight practices at Christ City Church that we hold very dearly, ways that we try to embody the vision and the mission of this local congregation. And one of those is to embrace diversity. And I think in this next phase of our church, our church is just 10 years old, and I think in this next phase of our church, this is going to be a very important practice for us to engage in 
more and more so. The demographic this church was first founded in was fairly narrow, and it's been slowly widening. And as we do that, we are going to get a better orientation into the presence of God in our world and our lives. So, if we do that through embracing diversity, we might, like Lyra said, we might learn something, discover something about the world that would have taken us a lot longer otherwise if we weren't doing that. So, um, I, wonder, I wonder what we might discover. That's, that's, that's something. I, I wonder what it is we might discover because I don't exactly know what that would be. I do know this. We are innately scared of doing this as human beings. We're scared of things that are unfamiliar to us. And much of the conflict in the world, in our country, in, the, in, in just acknowledging a year since George Floyd was murdered uh, on the street, uh, we have this, uh, this primal sort of fear of things that we don't understand, things that we're not familiar with. And many religious communities teach this, reinforce this. And the way that it happens is, well, some of the things you will hear will be harmful. They will give you an idea about God that's not, uh, oftentimes it could just be the right idea. Maybe the person doesn't really know why it's right or wrong. They just know that it was taught to them as the right idea about God. And this is true. And all over the world, there are speakers and preachers and teachers who will give you easy answers to this problem. They will tell you simple solutions as to why you don't need to look behind the curtain and just listen to the things that I say. But real life is just messier than that. And I'm encouraged that it seems the God of the Bible is not just willing to put up with the messiness of that, but even seems to encourage that diversity of understanding and expression. We see it all over this passage here. So, if the gospel is to go forth and be shared, as it is in this passage, and it must be shared if it is indeed a gospel, a gospel is good news, then in the sharing, we are faced with opportunities where we could move to just an understanding of left and right to more of a cardinal directions, because as the gospel goes forth, there is an opportunity for collaboration, for a back-and-forth understanding, for there to be a dialogue as there is in this passage here in the book of Acts. And I believe this is the type of world that we see the prophets and Jesus himself pointing to, is this type of group of people here. Because here's the thing. Lyra had grown up learning in the Western world, it was impossible for human beings to orient themselves to the world in the way that the Aborigine people did. So there are things that in our traditions, in our stories, we have thought are impossible, or at least very unlikely. And by embracing the diversity in which God gives us, we get to strengthen and become more sound in our orientation to the world and what God is doing in it, which means it's okay to be curious. 
It's okay to be curious about how God might be moving and working in people who think differently than you, who have a different socioeconomic class than you, different color skin, so on and so forth, a different gender, all of these types of things. So be curious. Uh, and, and so this is, this is where I want us to, to kind of land here at the end. Uh, in this last part of the passage, um, people are speaking in all these different languages, and then Peter stands up, and he raises his voice and addresses the crowd. And in, in the Greek, the words used to describe his speaking is related to prophecy. So uh, he's probably not just going off the cuff here. He's probably being inspired by God as he speaks. And he says, uh, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose, because they're very righteous and they wouldn't be getting drunk. No, because it's only nine in the morning. How could they be drunk already? We just got up not that long ago. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Uh, We we write people off all the time uh, because we aren't good listeners and because we're really susceptible as mostly very privileged people, uh, to get what we need from a, a small, a small uh, representative of our, our population. Um, it might sound something like this. We all do it in, in different degrees. Uh, they're too young. They can't understand that. Or they're too old. They don't get it. Or uh, they, they're not really educated enough to understand this. Or, man, they're just, too, they're just too black or they're just too white to get this kind of stuff or to understand where I'm coming from. And when we do that, we don't just miss out on a little bit of perspective or a neat little story we get to tell somebody. But by the reasoning of what's happening here in the scriptures, we miss out on several different possibilities of interacting with the presence of God. And it's organized here for us by the prophet Joel. It says, hey, you're going to hear prophecy and truth-telling from children. You're, you're going you're to hear visions from the young that have still a naive, idyllic version, uh, vision of what could be possible. And you're going to get dreams from the old. I'm getting, there's some dreams coming in right now from some older folks in the room right now. <laughs> And it says we're going to pour out, he's going to pour out his spirit, even on servants. Servants uh, would be slaves, people without rights, so, uh, or as many rights in this case here. Um, and so we have people who are old, people who are young. We have men and women. We have uh, people who uh, are of a, a low economic class here. And so... What we have is the potential for the people of God to be a listening people. 
to be a people who expect that we can learn about God from any and everyone in our midst, from children. I remember asking my daughter, I think she was two or three, uh, uh, they were learning about Acts. We were learning about Acts a couple years ago, and they were learning about it in CCK. And one of the questions we're supposed to follow up and ask is, after Jesus ascended, where is he now? And I asked my three-year-old daughter, I said, where is Jesus now? And she said, well, I think he's probably on the moon. And uh, I said, oh, yeah, what do you think he's doing there? Well, he's probably taking a nap because I think the moon's nice and comfy, right? And... Uh, we can learn from anyone. We can experience the presence of God from anyone. That idea, if we were able to embrace that idea as a global church, I believe that idea would change all of reality. And that as the scripture ends here for the morning, it says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this table where we all get to come in all of our diversity and differences and be united with you and your presence. Uh, give us courage. Give us understanding to be a listening community of God. Amen.